Um, take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 4. We'll just spend a brief moment there um, before we turn to John. And I'd like to take a uh, quick look at the first four chapters of the book of John. We're not going to, uh, we're going to start uh, in the beginnings of the ministry of Jesus in the calling of his disciples. And we want to see today that um, the Lord Jesus Christ's desire is that we always have, uh, we are always ready to give an answer for why we believe what we believe. Why do you hope in Christ? Why do you live the way you do? Why do you, uh, why do you look forward to Jesus Christ coming? Um, why do you believe that you're going to heaven? Uh, why, why do you, why do you, why are you a Christian? Why are you a Christian? Um, God wants us to be ready to give an answer to these questions. And the Lord Jesus Christ, well, He's our great example in these things. He gives us uh, examples of how interaction with other people in different ways and at different times, um, it, God was able to, He was able to use these things to have an impression upon people. Sometimes that impression was far reaching to whole towns. And the disciples got to see all these things. I want you to know, even though we are not face to face and, and foot to foot with Jesus Christ walking along with Him in His ministry, we have recorded for us the things that He did. And we have a great example in what we're able to read and understand and study. I encourage you to be studiers of the life of Jesus Christ. To know the way He did it. And it's going to take reading. It's going to take thought. Um, it's going to take a desire to, to spend time with Christ who's real and active in the world. Um, he wants us to have time with Him so that He can teach us and train us in the way that He would have us to go. Um, Jesus Christ is a great God. And He has a vision and a desire for this world to know Christ. And the amazing thing is He wants to use me to do it. The amazing thing is He wants to use us to do it. The amazing thing is He wants to use us as a church to do that work. Jesus Christ desires us to be so engaged that, that we are able to minister to people so that they might know who Jesus Christ is for real. You know, a lot of folks who we encounter are going to, of course, heard the name Jesus. But they have no clue who He is. If you know Christ, you can convey who He is to those dear people, those souls, those made in the image of God. Every person in this community and every person ever conceived into this world is made in the image of God. We have corporately and individually marred this image. But we are all due the we are all due the privilege of understanding who the God who made us is, and we are all due uh, to the 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 respect that that entails. I believe that. I believe that 
uh, that we as Christians have a full responsibility to proclaim the truth. To not mince words. To not try to curtail things in, not, in order not to offend. But to not do things in an offensive way that degrades people who are made in the image of God. Does that make sense? And who has been made in the image of God? Every single person in this world today. Even the most vile. Even the one who we disagree with on every single principle of life. Even the atheist who has taken his religion to its nth degree. And many atheists have. The nth degree of atheism is this. There is no objective truth. And there is no objective righteousness. Therefore, righteousness is declared by me. And many atheists in our world today have taken that to some of the most vile extents to where they even said that pedophilia is not such a bad thing. Those men, and they're mostly men, have been made in the image of God and are due what that entails. What does that entail? They deserve to hear the Gospel. They deserve to hear how they might be redeemed and how the image of God that is upon them can be restored fully and 100%. We live according to the principle of righteousness that comes from God and God alone. He declares what is true and we believe it. And every person who seeks to live according to this truth um, is far closer and more able um, to live honestly in this world than anybody else. In the amazing thing of the Lord Jesus Christ in His ministry is that He ministered not only to the supposed righteous, but He ministered to all types. And we see that in John. But I want you to notice there, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 18, And Jesus walking by the Sea of Galilee saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Now take your Bibles and turn over to John chapter 1. This calling of the disciples. This calling of the disciples. In verse 35 in chapter 1, and we're going to move very quickly today, but I'd like you to get a, a portrait picture or, or to be able to see the whole thing um, in these first four chapters of the ministry of Jesus Christ and the disciples who saw it all and how that impacted their life. In verse 35, and again the next day after John stood and two of his disciples, in looking upon Jesus as he walked, he saith, Behold, the Lamb of God. And so two disciples of John saw Jesus and John stood and said, That man Jesus is the Lamb of God. In another place, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. Very quickly, um, as you look at the harmony of the Gospels, you'll notice that some sentences don't seem to be complete in terms of other sentences. 
Many people have used this to say that the Bible is contradictory to itself. Because certain people say certain things and other people say certain other things. Some people say that there was one man that was filled with a devil. Another person says there were two men that were filled with devils. You see, God is not sovereign and He can't even get the people to say the same things. God is sovereign and He's also wise. (laughs) And the accountings of the Gospels are the accountings of holy men of God who are given the remembrance of what happened by the Holy Spirit. And the perfect wisdom of God leads us to this understanding that where we see things somewhat different in the Gospels, we're also seeing that God is using men to tell us what's going on. And these men are eyewitnesses, are the recorders of those who are eyewitnesses. So you have John who is an eyewitness, you have Matthew who is an eyewitness, you have Mark who recorded the eyewitness, and uh, you have Luke who recorded the eyewitness. They, they might not have been there exactly, but they're recording these things. And where, where they're saying things that are a little different, uh, God was very wise in allowing man to do this. Because God in some ways is, is really orchestrating things and is, because He is sovereign and knows all things, guess what? If He wanted to, He could have everybody say exactly the same thing. If he wanted to, he could have every single eyewitness say exactly the same thing, word for word. Those who are police and investigators who are trying to figure out what happened in a crime, if they found that four different people said exactly the same thing word for word, they would say those men are colluding. Now, God could collude if He wanted to, and it would still be right. But God is wise to not leave us with that interpretation of Scripture that a bunch of guys got together and just wrote down the same thing. These are actual accountings of what they saw and they remember seeing. And so when we come to... Uh, this passage and we see things not exactly the same as we might have seen in another passage in another place, God was very wise in doing that. That makes sense? Then Jesus in turn, verse 38, and saw the following and said unto them, What seek ye? They saw these two guys. Jesus saw this to two guys. They were following after him. He said, Hey, what are you looking for? They said unto him, Rabbi, which is to say being interpreted, Master, where dwellest thou? Where do you live? He saith unto them, Come and see. (laughs) They came and saw where he dwelt and abode with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And he first findeth his own brother Simon, and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. This is the one who came to save us from our sins. And he brought him to Jesus, and when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. The day following, Jesus would go forth into Galilee and findeth Philip, and saith unto him, Follow me. Now, Philip was of Bethsaida, a city of Andrew, and Peter. Philip findeth Nathanael, and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And so here we have Philip, 
whose brother, um, uh, who loved Nathaniel and wanted to find him. I want you to notice when it says Philip findeth Nathaniel, uh, that word findeth does not is not cannot be interpreted that he just stumbled upon him. Right? Sometimes when you find things, you just stumble upon them. You can lose your keys, and you can search and search and search, and then finally you say, this is ridiculous, I'll never find these things, and you quit, and then 26 years later, you find them, you stumble upon them. Right? But this is not what this means. Philip is going after Nathaniel. He says, I've got to find Nathaniel and I have to bring him to Jesus. Because when he meets Jesus, he will believe and know the Christ. I know the Christ. When he meets him, he'll know him. And this is amazing what happens. Philip findeth Nathanael and saith unto him, We have found him of whom Moses of the, uh, uh, in the law and the prophets did write, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said unto him, Can there be any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip said unto him, Come and see. And so Nathanael says, Listen, people have been saying that they're the Christ for generations. Does anything good come out of Nazareth anyway? And Philip said, Hey, why don't you just come see? <laughs> now I want you to know, I believe Nathaniel was one who in his heart desired to see Christ. He was ready to know Christ. But he also knows that he'd never seen Him before. He also, know, he also knew that he had encountered those or had heard of those who named themselves Christ, but their life proved that they weren't. But he was ready to encounter Christ if He was real. And we'll see why in a second. Verse 47, Jesus saw Nathanael coming to Him and saith unto him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Nathanael saith unto him, Whence knowest thou me? Jesus answered and said unto him, Before that Philip called thee, when thou wast under the fig tree, I saw thee. Nathanael answered and said unto him, Rabbi, which again means Master, Thou art the Son of God, Thou art the King of Israel. Now Jesus asks an obvious question. Jesus answered and said unto him, Because I said unto thee, I saw thee under the fig tree, believest thou, thou shalt see greater things than these. Here was a man who said, There's nothing... Good has, has anything good ever come out of out of this out of uh, uh, Nazareth? Of course, this is where Jesus grew up. He was born in Bethlehem, but he was called a Nazarite. If Nathaniel knew the scriptures, and maybe he did, he would know prophetically Jesus would come from three places: Bethlehem, Judah, uh, Nazareth, and he'd also come from Egypt. All of these things were prophesied in the Old Testament. Where did Jesus come from? Well, you might say He came from Bethlehem because where was He born? You might say He came from Egypt and that would be true because what happened after He was born? He moved to Egypt. Why did He move to Egypt? Because the king wanted to kill all the kids and did kill all the babies there in Bethlehem. And so they fled to Egypt. After the king died, God spoke to his father Joseph and they moved back home. But you know where home is? Home was not Bethlehem, and of course it wasn't Egypt. It was here in Nazareth. And so, does anything good come from Nazareth? 
Well, the Messiah would come from there. That's what God said in the Old Testament. And so, Nathaniel uh, hears and sees Jesus. And Jesus said, Behold an Israelite indeed, in whom is no guile. Now, Jesus is not a puffer-upper. Alright? Jesus is not somebody whose who's method of getting somebody to believe Him is puffing them up. By the way, the Scripture says to do so is a sin. Did you know the manipulative tool of puffing someone up in order to get them to do what you want is a sin? It's wrong. It's wrong. And it should not be done. Jesus was not manipulating Nathaniel to get him to believe. Alright? He was not doing that. Um, But he was... In this instance, um, saying something that was true in this sense. Number one, he was an Israelite, which was obvious. But number two, he was not a man who was seeking to uh, be beguiling to his friends and family and neighbors. Um, He was a man who was sincerely seeking after those things that were true. Now, this is true. Every person in the world is a sinner. And I'm not sure that you could ask anybody, have you ever told a lie, and they, if they answered no, that they'd be honest. Right? How many of you, of you in here could say with all honesty, I have told a lie? Right? Everybody else is a liar. Alright? We've all told lies in some ways. Right? But there are liars who lie because of weakness or because of a desire to get out of trouble. And then there are liars who are outright beguilers. Their desire is to pull the wool over everyone's eyes. And I've known folks, maybe you have too, that have lie on top of lie on top of lie where you're wondering what in the world is true. I have no clue. And I, you even can begin to say, is this Pearson telling the truth? He can't be telling the truth. Right? Well, this is not Nathaniel. He was a man who was sincerely desiring to see Christ. This is what Jesus was communicating when there are many people who said they were looking for Christ. Why were they looking for Christ in Israel? Because that's what you were supposed to do. But who was Nathaniel looking for? He wasn't looking for Nathaniel because he was supposed to. I mean, he wasn't looking for Christ because he was supposed to. He was looking for Christ because he sincerely knew of his need for Christ. And so he comes and Nathaniel said, How do you know me? Well, because I saw you. You're sitting under the fig tree with your, your, uh, with Philip over there and I saw you. And, and he said, Well, man, you must be the Son of God. <laughs> You must be the king of Israel. If you saw me under the bush and knew who I was based upon seeing me, you must be God. (laughs) Brethren, we are going to meet people, and it may be rare, but we're going to meet people who are sincerely seeking after Christ. And we can tell them the simple gospel without fanfare, without uh, a thousand hours of trying to convince them And they will say, that is the Son of God. Jesus is truly the Christ. 
Now, in our America today, most people are going to have heard the name of Jesus. But when you speak about the true Jesus, not the Jesus that so many worship today, um, who is filled with, if you, if you don't do all the works that all the traditions of man have told you to do over the centuries, then you fail in the grace of God and your, your best bet is purgatory, but you're probably going to hell. This is a Jesus that people worship. He's a false Jesus. There's also the Jesus that has become prevalent in society today. That is the relative Jesus. He's the Jesus that got married and had affairs and and, uh, was a sinner just like us. A sinner just like us. You remember the old song. It's amazing it's old now. But when I was growing up, the, the Jesus is just a slob like us riding on the train. Jesus is not like us. He is the Son of God. But this is what people are taught in the world today. But there are those who know about Jesus in these ways and are when He is presented for who He really is, say, you know what? That's true. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the King of Israel. He is the Messiah. And I'm going to trust Him. Now this... In our society, at least what I've found is rare. But I have known folks who, as far as I can tell, the first time they heard of the true Jesus, they said, that's Him. They said, I believe. And they trusted Christ and were saved. This was not me. It took well over a year of perpetual and almost weekly... Uh, works of desire to get me to believe by people who loved me and loved Jesus more than they loved me so that I might be saved. That was not me. Maybe it was you. There are some. There are some. Chapter 2. And the third day there was a marriage at Canaan in Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. And both Jesus was called and His disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus saith unto them, They have no wine. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, what I have to do with thee? Mine hour is not yet come. And so Jesus turns the water into wine. And I want you to notice what it says. In verse 10, after all this is done, the governor of the feast comes, in verse 10, and he saith unto him, Every man at the beginning does set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, uh, then that which is worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now, this beginning of miracles did Jesus in the Cana of Galilee and manifested forth His glory and His disciples believed on Him. I want you to notice that even though Jesus uh, did this miracle, even the governor of the feast does not glorify Jesus, right? Who are the ones that glorify Jesus because of this miracle? His disciples, right? His disciples. They saw these things. Now, why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus do this? Um, Why did He do this kind thing? By the way, I want you to to think about this for a moment. I don't care how long weddings are in Israel. But if Jesus turned that water into alcoholic wine after everybody else was well drunken, then He was not being kind to them by giving them more alcohol, was He? Because what would happen if you got a whole bunch, you just got a refill of gallons and hundreds of gallons of alcohol after you've already drunk hundreds of gallons, if it is alcohol? You'd be wicked 
to use the phraseology of Rhode Island, wasted, right? You'd be wasted. And that would not be kind to those people. Uh, Jesus was showing a kindness here. And He did a kindness. Why? Because He would be glorified. And these things would prepare the way for the Gospel to be given. And sometimes, brethren, as the church, we have to be willing to do the things that seem to not bring any glory to God, but pave the way for the Gospel in a community. Because guess what was going to happen in this place? Well, let's look. This place in Capernaum, they would ultimately, in amazing ways, um, turn to Christ. In the next passage, we have the cleansing of the temple. They go, Jesus, during the Passover, goes to Jerusalem. And there were folks that sold oxen and sheep for sacrifice within the temple. And uh, they were taking advantage of all kinds of things. So he made a little cord and started whipping at them and flipped over tables. And, and uh, verse 16 tells us why. Uh, Take these things, hence make not my father's house a house of merchandise. And his disciples remembered in verse 17 that it was written in the Old Testament, the zeal of thine house hath eaten me up. Jesus, who was the Lord of the house, could not stand what they were doing in it, and so they, he stopped it. Verse 18, Then answered the Jews and saith unto him, What sign showest thou unto us, seeing that thou doest these things? Jesus answered and said unto him, them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty and six years was this temple in building, and thou will rear it up in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. And so Jesus was talking about what event in his life? His resurrection, right? He said, you destroy the temple of this body, and in three days I'm going to raise it up from the dead. And by the way, did He do that? He did. Now what is the point of this? In the, in the previous part, we see Jesus doing a kindness at a wedding. In this one, He doesn't seem kind at all. I want you to know, there are going to be instances where we as a church have to stand for truth no matter how others are going to react. We have to be willing to stand for that which is true and to not allow the degradation of the glory of God. And we're going to have to be willing to be bold for it too. Nobody did these things. But Jesus made a whip and and cast these folks out and turned over their tables and destroyed the money-making scheme that they had. D.L. Moody was once asked to bless a bar that opened up in, in town. He said, you don't want me to do that. He said, oh, yes, I do. You're, you're the most famous person in town. If you came and blessed this, this uh, bar, then, then uh, I'd have all kinds of folks come. He went. Uh, D.L. Moody went. He said, Lord God, I pray that this place shuts down in this day and that nobody comes to this place. And this, this man who wants to do these things is, is, is uh, unable to, to make a business here. And I don't know all exactly what he said, but he prayed against that place. It didn't make it too long. It didn't make it too long. But there are times where we're going to have to stand. And brethren, we live in a culture today where there are things that we have to stand and say, this is wrong. There are numbers of them. And we have to be willing to say it. And people are going to think we're angry. But we're just saying the truth. Why would we do this? For one reason. 
What was the answer to the question? The answer to the question that these folks asked, how do you think, who do you think you are, was the question they're asking. Who do you think you are? He said, destroy this temple in three days I'll raise it up. He did. Why would we do things where others think we're angry for the gospel's sake? So that people might know that Jesus Christ died on the cross for their sins and rose from the dead. This is what the people saw. In chapter 3, we have Nicodemus, this most famous of evangelistic passages, the most famous of verses in all of Christianity today. Uh, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And he was a man of high stature. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. We know Paul was was a Pharisee of Pharisees, but this guy was right up there. Nicodemus was one of the key Pharisaical people in Israel and Jerusalem. And he came by night because he was he didn't want all the other Pharisees to see him because, well, the Pharisees were the ones who were getting pretty mad at him earlier. And so he came at night and said, Listen, Lord, we know that you are the Son of God. We know, verily, verily, verse 3, except uh, he said, uh, in, actually in verse 2, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus begins to speak to this man um, and speak to his understanding of his religion. Brother, there are a lot of religious people in this world, but their religion is very wrong. The Pharisees' religion was a religion of works. Their Many people who are religious today, not people who claim to be part of a religion, but people who are religious, most often believe this. I'm going to get right with God because I'm such a good person. I go to church this way. We met a man yesterday. My mom went to church every day. They're religious. But if their religion says, I am good in the sight of God because I've done all these things, their religion is wrong. And Nicodemus came face to face with the reality that his religion was wrong. And Jesus led him to Himself. Chapter 4, and we're going to come to a close. We find the woman at the well. We go from the highest of the high to the lowest of the low. This was a woman that nobody would even allow to come get water at the time when it was cool. She had to go in the fever heat of the day. And how many people were there with her? Nobody. It was just her. Why? Because she had had... She had had Six husbands or five husbands and was living with a sixth. <laughs> she was what we might consider a prostitute or, a, or someone who was very morally disgusting. Someone that we would not want to be around or befriend. <laughs> now, when Jesus sat at the well and he said, I must needs go through Samaria, did he know this about that lady? He knew it already, didn't he? He knew that the woman who was going to put the water into the well and the the hands of that woman were going to touch the water that he was going to put to his lips and drink was a woman that nobody would hang around with because of the way that she had conducted herself in her life. And yet Jesus took the water and drank it even though she said... I'm a woman of Samaria. And that wasn't even the big problem. 
He said, I know you've had five husbands and you're living with a sixth. He said, I want you to know in verse 21, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor at Jerusalem worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We, we know what we worship for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. I want you to notice that phrase, and now is. This can be interpreted one of two ways. Number one, Jesus was there, so the time was now. But it also can be interpreted this way. Now is for you. And brethren, after we explain the Gospel and we go through the reality of Christ and who He is, there's going to be a time in the lives of people where we're going to have to be willing to say, the time is now. Because if you trust that I am the Messiah, then you will be the one who worships Me in spirit and in truth. And by the end of this day, this woman was going to believe and worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. Did you know the very moment a person gets saved, they worship Jesus in spirit and in truth? She went and she told all the folks that wouldn't go get water with her who Jesus was. And the amazing thing was is that they believed her. That's a miracle. <laughs> they came and they believed Jesus. And now we've got a whole city in Samaria that is worshiping Jesus in spirit and in truth. Why? Because Jesus allowed a woman who nobody else would let touch her touch His water. Why? Because she is made in the image of God. And she deserved the Gospel and she got it. And she's in heaven. There are going to be a lot of folks in heaven who has who have had a relationship with someone of the opposite sex or even the same sex at some point in their life. Maybe dozens. But they came to know Christ and got saved. Because someone was willing to touch them when nobody else would. We have to be those people. For the Gospel's sake. Amen? The disciples saw it all. You know where the disciples went after Jesus ascended into heaven? Everywhere. They went to as far as Spain and as far west as China with the Gospel. As far north as, as uh, what we call Russia today. They went everywhere with the Gospel. And they were willing to give it to anybody. We need to be ready to give an answer to anybody. Amen? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Rich is going to bring the kids in. I want to give them a chance to go find their seat. We'd love it if they're quiet, but if they're not, don't be disturbed by it. This is a time where we remember Christ. The Lord's table is the time in which we remember Christ. Dwayne, if you don't mind coming, and Bob, if you don't mind coming and helping with the Lord's table today. This is what Jesus said. Remember me. Remember me. This remembrance leads us to this understanding. There's no one like Jesus. 
And then it leads us to this understanding. Everyone needs to know Him. Nathaniel, the city of Capernaum, the woman at the well, Nicodemus, Jesus ministered to each one. May God give us the opportunity and the desire to minister to anyone.